You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Matt Kraft. Matt is the Chief Operating Officer of Mosaic Learning, Inc. It's one of the largest providers of e-learning to the union trade and member organizations, think the Teamsters and UPS, etc., Prior to Mosaic, he held executive positions at Bonterra, at Straighter Line Inc., and at Crawford. He's an early stage employee of what is now the Web Group in what as early back as in high school. And he was also a senior manager at AOL Yahoo. But I think most importantly, he's also the proud dad of two children who excel in sports. His son's football team was undefeated last year. He qualified for states in swimming this year. And his daughter's one of the top rated ballet dancers in her age group at Annapolis, Maryland. Proud dad indeed. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be here with you today. Now, what's your fun fact? So first, Laura, I want to go ahead and congratulate you. Did I hear it correctly that you had 4.7 million viewers of your TED Talk and how to say your name correctly in related episodes? Is that correct? Uh, a little bit higher. We're almost at 7 million now. You're at 7 million? Wow. Almost. almost. We're getting there. Incredible. You've got to be so proud. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Thank you. It's fun to every now and then bump into somebody and have them look at me and go, why do I feel like I, I've talked to you? Haven't we met? We haven't. Oh my God, wait, it's, I saw your TED talk. Yeah. So that's, that is fun every now and then. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. And so fun fact for me is I've actually been in education technology, which that's the heart of Mosaic's business since I was actually in junior high. And so people look at me like what a wonky when I say stuff like that, but <laughs> actually it's true. So when I was in junior high, there were some friends that got together and then I joined about six months later and we formed the largest bulletin board system in the country at the time called like Washington online. So I think 1994, 1995. I'm not probably doing the, the sound justice, but you remember like the modem noises, like sure, sure, sure. The dial up. Yeah, well, yeah, the old dial yes, up. I'll date myself on that one, sure. And so I, I'm dating myself too. You can see the gray hairs or lack of, you know, <laughs> lack of hair, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it was great. And, you know, a lot of the folks, unfortunately, some of them are no longer with us, but a lot of them went on to have extraordinary careers. One of them was actually Peter Pajanoff, his dad invented Tetris. And so a lot of cool stuff at his house. And, you know, we had a great run. Wait, did I just hear you say your friend's dad invented Tetris? Yeah, it was one of nice. the one of folks who was involved. His dad invented Tetris, right? Literally. Amazing. Your Pajanoff. So, and we had a great run through a lot of different ups and downs, one of which was actually the school board trying to shut us down twice. If you can imagine all of the issues that we deal with now with relating to FERPA and student grade transfers and- What is FERPA? Sorry, just a little bit of jargon there. It's basically education policy in terms of data privacy, right? Got it. And okay. So, like HIPAA, but for education. Yeah. So a very old law that's just been interpreted different ways over the years and for lack of a better term in terms of statutes, et cetera. And so we were dealing with a lot of those issues way back in the mid nineties and including cyberbullying. And so 1996 mm. was one of the times the school district and, you know, we had gotten grants from Apple and then later Dell and Microsoft and done a lot of really cool stuff. And the school board tried to shut us down. And so I actually was speaking at a gymnasium at the time and really used the theme of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, which I later used to also run for a class office. My freshman year was class president. And, okay. and so there was a lot of overlap there. At the time, I thought, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. But, you know, really use that to, and there were others too that were involved to really communicate 
the value of students collaborating online, students and teachers collaborating online. We had things called resumes. This was way before like even AIM pages at AOL or Facebook profiles and Facebook feeds and things like this. And so the platform was built off of software from a company called SoftArk. And I've kind of made my fun fact into a whole narrative, but there were a lot of really great experiences through that. It taught me a lot. It was almost 30 years ago now. And so when I think about what we've done at Mosaic Learning and all the extraordinary companies that really come out of that, you know, it really was, my son loves the song, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Gold. Yeah, sure. I remember that same era back there in the early 90s. Yeah, it was like late 80s, early 90s. And there's since, I think, been a remake by Fall Out Boy. And so he doesn't like that one as much. <laughs> but we really did probably start some of the fire and, you know, and companies like Blackboard and Power School and things came later. But, you know, we really dealt a lot of those issues, you know, junior high, high school very early on. What fun, what fun to know that you were such an early pioneer in that space and look what you've built now. So speaking of which, tell us a little bit about that. Give us your 30 second elevator pitch for Mosaic. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a question for you or, sure. or at least a couple of questions. So would we both agree that the student debt crisis is a crisis? You've got a ton of people Trillion dollars, 60% never graduated from college would agree that's an issue. I would agree that is definitely an issue. All right, cool. Would you agree that it's an issue that we pass a trillion dollar infrastructure bill and there's a ton of folks in the union trade businesses that have to be trained because we don't have enough master electricians and apprentices and things like this to build up electric charging stations and all the things to really power the next generation of infrastructure in this country? Uh, that sounds very reasonable to me. Yes, I would believe that's the case. And that's awesome. And would you believe it to be the case that there are students, including mine, Others, you know, maybe your own and those types of things that during COVID lost time that they need to make up in terms of learning. Yes, definitely. Okay, cool. Well, that's the great thing about Mosaic Learning. So since 2005, we were founded as a part of Mosaic.buzz in Chevrolet, Maryland. And since 2007, since we broke on our own business and accelerating through COVID, we've really empowered and enabled and built software and technology to improve learning outcomes for all. That's our vision, to improve learning outcomes for all. And so we started again with a high degree of focus on union and member trade organizations through COVID said, hey, we can really take this technology and leverage it. So students like mine, Anne County Public Schools, our president, Mike D. Simone, all the students that really need to accelerate learning and really have, we call computer mediated learning. And we look at it from different facets, whether it's 2D or 3D, virtual reality, learning management online, in classroom, in our case, it's all the ecosystem and it's powered by a ton of data and learning since 2007. So you think about big data, you think about artificial intelligence, you think about machine learning, you think about all those things and those abilities of those technologies to really empower and improve student learning outcomes for millions of students, whether you're a first-time drug offender coming out of prison, whether you're a union person in an apprentice program, and whether you're a student in a school, in our case, we found more traction in, in sort of private school settings mm -hmm. than we have in public. You're all those students and you're really looking for a sort of a student on IEP. You're looking for a better shot and a better system and a better platform. You're frustrated with Litmus. You're frustrated with Canvas. You're frustrated with PowerSchool. And we're the solution for that. Beautiful. So really the access to high quality learning for all, no matter what the context. Correct. Amazing. So now in doing all of this, I would imagine that there is still a lot of room for educating the population about the e-learning platforms. Everybody sort of got thrown into it headlong during COVID. But to your point, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of learning curve. There's a lot of, you know, don't want to have to think about it for many people. So what are some things that you wish more people understood either about the technology or about your role, the company, the industry? And what is your personal role in changing that perception? It's a great question. And so I think the most fundamental thing I can say is that 
our competitors and, and really the landscape itself makes it too hard. Makes what too hard specifically? They make the software too hard to use. Got and it. They make okay. it too disconnected. Yeah. What I mean by that is that, you know, think back to my son and my daughter sitting there, you know, in the home office, sitting there in Google Classroom and just staring at the screen. How old were they during COVID when they were learning from home? So they're going to be 13 now. And so in 2020, they would have been nine, 10 years old. Okay. So you've got twins, double trouble. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. So just them staring at it. My son, you know, avid chess fan, opening up chess kid. And really there's no, I mean, if you're literally opening up something else to play a game while you should be learning, there's a problem. Can we agree that that's an issue where you should be an immersive learning experience? You should be kind of taking advantage of the classroom experience. And so if you're doing something else, that's an issue. Yeah. And so the solution to that in many cases is to just lock the computer down. Like that's what we did. It's like, no, you can't play chess kid. I went into my Comcast router, later Verizon router. You can't play chess kid, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's not the solution. The solution is to make the learning more immersive, make the experience more connected. And so we did is we built what's called Combobulate Meet. Our platform is called Combobulate, the ability to bring order from chaos. And so really Combobulate Meet is really a solution for those who suffer from Zoom fatigue. And it's part of our overall ecosystem. And that's just one part of it. And we're collecting all interaction data with students raising their hands, getting engaged and coming back to the lesson and what their progress was, certificates and badging and scores and all the things that sort of make the LMS experience complete. And we're doing that because again, for us, it's about engagement. It's about immersive learning. It's about tracking the progress and enabling a student to where the learning system online almost becomes like a private tutor, if you will, in sort of the ideal sense to where, again, it's just not the experience where you have sort of a lecturer on a screen and they're typing up assignments and then you're submitting assignments later on. There's a lot more collaboration and interaction the student teacher has real-time feedback and reporting on how students are performing. And so there's all the things that kind of fit together. My role in that is to be the chief voice of not only what we're doing, but really the, sort of the execution behind it. And we have our CEO, Brendan Connors, our president, Mike Simone. Mike is probably one of the best product people I've ever worked with. And Brendan is probably one of the best sales customer people I've ever worked with and really sort of brilliant visionary CEO type. My job is to not only take their vision and it's sort of our vision and then our CTO, Phil Youngworth's sort of vision and execution and, and bring it all together so that everyone in the organization is sort of coming on board with not only that vision, but the path of execution to get us there to where we're really, again, improving learning outcomes for all. And then we're executing on behalf of not only our employees, but our clients. Beautiful, beautiful. I love that you framed yourself as sort of the chief voice of the organization. Everybody needs a voice to follow. If an organization doesn't have one, it's not going to go anywhere. So that's such a key linchpin of a role. And so love having you on the show as that voice. Now, what is there ever a time when you thought that you did a great job of explaining something only to have the listener look at you like a deer in the headlights? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So I was in Las Vegas last year. Education conference, you know, one of the larger education conferences in the country in terms of just overall attendees and all the great things that happen, you know, sort of when you're in Vegas and and getting awards and, and doing all the fun things. So I had two keynote opportunities. One was in December and one was in April. Which was first? Were they same year or different years? This was I'm, last year, so 2022. So the April one came first and then the December one. Yes, ma'am. So in the April one, I prepared this, what I thought was a great presentation, right? Like you think about PowerPoints and, you know, I was really into the message and how we're using data and artificial intelligence, and machine learning and all the great things. And I followed up in December with this and, you know, talked a little bit about my background and my story and how really the overall organization just 
exists to really empower learners and had all this great stuff in my head. And my opener, I thought was one of the greatest openers I've done yet, where literally I had the lights turned off and like this took some orchestration with the conference Mm -hmm. team. So you're thinking of a conference room in Las Vegas. I'm coming on stage. I'm turning off lights and I'm opening with now slowly open your eyes. And that's what it's like when we're bringing light to the vision of learning, Mm -hmm. right? And without what we're doing, the room is in darkness. And imagine walking around without any lights on in a big room in Las Vegas, right? Okay. And you're not learning anything. So that's sort of the long and short of it is. And so I've got all this planned out in my head. People are like, why the lights go out? And they're kind of looking around. (laughs) I'm talking on stage. I'm talking and it's 15 minute speech and we get to Q&A. And the first question comes from someone in the audience and she says, now, if I could just take what you just said and your sort of army of facts and what you're doing and add in the previous speaker who was just all sort of energetic, but maybe not as high on substance, then we'd have the perfect presentation. And I just felt like, I guess that was a compliment, but no, as we say at my last company, feedback is always a gift. And and so in my head, and that's where sort of fast forward in December, I made it a lot more where I try to connect with the audience versus just here's my universe of facts and everything Mm. we're doing. And isn't it great? And oh, by the way, the lights went out and I sort of made this analogy and everyone should connect with it. And if you don't, then you don't know what's going on. And and so (laughs) that was a great learning experience for me. And you can watch it on YouTube and get kind of your own impression of it, that and the the speech in December. But I thought December was much better because I better connected with the audience. And I thought that was a better experience for them than me when I'm, you know, sort of giving the speech. So that she was looking at the two of you and saying that guy was all style and no substance and you were all substance, but not enough style to connect with her. Somehow we needed to at least make it more digestible. We had the fire hose method of, of instruction, perhaps the open mouth turn on fire hose and really just drown people in the data and evidence a little bit too much of the assumption that you're going to think all my data is as fascinating as I do. Yeah, exactly. And I think her name is Deanna. You take Deanna, you take Matt, you have basically the perfect speech in Las Vegas, not the perfect speech in Las Vegas, but probably sure. one of the better speeches that afternoon, for sure. Okay. But you know what? Like you said, that kind of feedback is truly a gift. It's not given in necessarily the most delicate matter, but it certainly sounds like you were able to leverage that to be able to make the next one much better. And that's what really we're aiming for. It's all about getting better with each individual time. So you did have that chance for a do-over. So that's a really a lucky break a few months later. Yeah. Now, have you ever allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team? And if so, how did it impact your relationship with them moving forward? Yeah, that's another really good question, Laura. This is one of those areas where I've pivoted over time. You know, when I first started out my career because I was young and it was just my native personality, you know, sort of I'm a 17 year old, I'm working at the software company. And so I had to kind of appear, especially my communications with customers and everyone else, like I was older than I actually was. And it was also my native personality where that was a comfort zone for me, right? I mean, Mm. a middle school, I was being in front of a school board. Like I had to always take on this persona of being older than I chronologically was. And again, that was a comfort zone for me. And, you know, I'm an engineer by trade, a data person by trade. And so, you know, everything in my head is not everything, but most things are an engineering problem to solve. I have, mm-hmm. you know, facts and analyses and models and, you know, running that in my head and, and doing all the things. And so I was very like stoic, right? You know, and I'm not going to share any personal information. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be like a robot and be cold and not be warm and gentle and things like that. And so I kind of mock it, but it's the truth. And, you know, I was in a program called High Potential Leadership Program. My last employer was majority owned by Vista Equity Partners, the largest acquirers of software companies in the world. And so they sort of take their top executives every year and roughly two thirds of them graduate from this program. And, you know, I started out really well and then hit this sort of bottom. We we were in Dallas, 
you go to different locations and we were in Dallas. And How old were you at this? This is when you were 17 or this is when? Sorry. No, this is much later. This is okay. 2017. This is 2017. And so, Got it. Okay. And so I learned through that program and through my advisor at the time named Sarah Finch that you're, what you've gotten to this point, right? The roboticism, the stoicism, the lack mm-hmm. of emotion and, and lack of warmth and empathy is not the same skills that are going to get you to the next point. And it took almost failure, almost complete failure in that program for to connect with me, right? It's done all these great things. Like, what are you talking about? I've invented these cool things. Like, and so I took that to heart and mosaic learning in September of 2020 over a several week period, my spouse had to go through major procedure at the hospital. One of my parents had complications from COVID and the other one had COVID. And then mm. both my parents were nearly dying. I was taking care of my two kids, my spouse mm. is in the hospital. And, you know, we had an all hands meeting and I was like, I was driving in that morning. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to keep it all together. Like, I literally don't know how I'm going to keep it all together. And so we got to, we have this thing called Crafts Corner. We have all hands meeting called Crafts Corner where I try to filibuster a little bit and have a topic of conversation that's relevant for the time and, and kind of talk through it. So I didn't break down emotionally, but I told the company what I was going through. So let me leverage what Sarah told me and let me share my truth, right? Let me own my truth and share my truth. That's what she would say. And it was amazing how there was just silence. And it's company meetings. Sometimes there is silence. But I got Teams message after that where it's, it was literally like there were almost 60 souls kind of on this journey with me mm. of how I was able to open up a little bit. And prior to that, a lot of the feedback had been that I was too cold or something like this. And then mm-hmm. a lot of the feedback improved. And it it was an eye-opening experience for me because I was able to be vulnerable in a setting of folks that reported to me and really, again, share my truth about what I was going through and sort of identify the why, say that a lot, identify the why and the how will fall into place. And so the why was, hey, I'm going through some rough times. The how is, okay, how are we now going to get through one of the largest projects that we've had in our company's history. And yeah. you know, over time, my parents both recovered. My spouse obviously recovered from her surgery and that kind of thing. But it really, again, cemented, and I continue as I'm doing coaching calls and our weekly one-on-ones with my team about how to really connect when someone's having an emotional time and identifying their why and really empathizing with them and then sort of going beyond what we do about it. And so that's a time where I literally... I knew in 2017, I needed to do this, but it wasn't really until 2020 that I was able to put all of those things into place to become a better leader for my team. It's amazing how sometimes we have to get to the breaking point on whatever the issue is before we're willing to take that chance just because we can't not. The the universe has said you are not going to take another step forward. You have to shift courses. You have to shift directions one way or another. And you know, the advice you got in the leadership program is very reminiscent of, I think John Maxwell probably made the phrase most famous through his book, what got you here won't get you there. And that's certainly a classic book on leadership for anybody out there who hasn't read it. And you you can do it on Audible or do whatever else, but we can put a note in the show notes with a link for anybody who wants to look it up later. Great book. What got you here won't get you there. I heard it recently in the book, 10X is easier than 2X. They just referenced that what got you here will keep you here. That's the other version of it. So it's just taking that step to look forward and letting your guard down and saying there's stuff going on and I need a little bit of help. I don't even know what that help looks like necessarily. Just I need you to know that this is what's going on. So if what you're getting from me isn't at my best or something, just you understand. So you know, kudos to you for letting them in. And what great validation to have 60 souls show up for you and say, you know, thank you. And, and we're here for you and let us know what you need. That must. How did that feel to get that feedback from your group virtually or otherwise? It felt 
validated. It felt good. It, it felt like I wasn't alone, right? One of the worst things you can ever feel in life is regret and loneliness. And so it felt like there was not a ton of regret. I think regret would have come in if I hadn't shared it. But the, the feeling of loneliness of going through all these things and not being able to share it is a very real feeling. And the fact that I was able to open up in front of, again, my entire team and got what I got in terms of support was extraordinary. Yes. I would imagine there has to be a catharsis. You know, there's a lot of discussion about the loneliness at the top, where you don't feel like you necessarily have a peer to speak to. You have to make a lot of decisions by yourself. It can be scary if you don't have a sounding board or a partner or a mentor or somebody to bounce it off of. And when you realize that your team, whether it's if it's not a peer, even those who report up to you can still be there. They are still people. And to give them a chance and let them show up for you at the same time. What a great lesson to be able to learn. And thank goodness your wife and your parents are okay, by the way, for, for that as well. Matt, this brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So let's take a little shift here. All right. This is an opportunity for you. I'm going to invite you to talk directly to our listeners and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Laura. So let me do this. So I've been an engineer now for over two decades been working on AI way before ChatGPT, like almost seven years now. And so it's top of mind for me all the time. And obviously ChatGPT creating lots of buzz in the industry. You know, Google's got their alternative. Amazon's coming up with their alternative. But, you know, there's all sorts of ideas from AI is going to be the Terminator to AI is going to, you know, basically be a personal assistant to all sorts of things in between. And so sure. I think... Like, you know, the movie Oppenheimer, right? There are lots of goods and bads with sort of the nuclear power and things like this. All tools can be used for good and can be used for evil. The idea is we hope everybody uses them for good. Okay, so. Yes. And so I like to frame AI as like the good shepherd. And so you think about in that context, think about your everyday life. Think about the challenges that you face. Think about the challenges your organizations face. My challenge to you, given all that context, is come up with an idea, an idea that's novel related to AI, something that's completely new in a way that AI can really fundamentally shift your lives, your family's lives, your organization's lives, and post it on LinkedIn. Hmm. So just sort of brainstorm the idea. Well, so what would that look like for somebody who has never really played with AI before? And I'm guessing the majority of the people have heard about it, but haven't actually used it. And of course, there's lots of different platforms and you're not even suggesting people do it. We're not suggesting they go to ChatGPT or to Claude.ai or to you know, any of the other options that are out there. But hypothetically speaking, you're saying, what's something you'd like to have AI do problem that you'd like AI to solve for you. Is that what you're suggesting? Did I understand that right? Absolutely. So in 2017, for example, I came up with the concept with my team as well at my last company of using like big data and marrying different data sets and then using AI to standardize kind of mental health treatment platform and recommendations. Here at Mosaic Learning, I mean, you play the movie out five years, AI, in my opinion, and there's lots of other things that have to happen with cognitive brain science and things like that. My opinion, AI can help solve dementia and Alzheimer's, right? So improving, when we take improving learning and memory and improving learning outcomes to that next level, it's, hey, how do we use AI to really augment biologically memory formation and retention so that Alzheimer's and dementia, I don't want to say you're a thing of the past, but that'd be great. I used to, in 2018, when I stood on the stage at my last company, we had an annual conference. I said, the day that I can put a pin on my lapel saying that wearing a mental health diagnosis, like someone wears a breast cancer diagnosis, the pink ribbons and things like this, mm -hmm. then I've done my job in our business at Mosaic Learning. The day that everyone has an opportunity to maximize their learning outcomes and be free of not being able to improve their destinies because they're shackled by things, whether it's learning disability or whether it's access to education, 
is the day we've done our job. My challenge to everyone here is come up with an idea that's novel to where AI really impacts you or your life and, and post it on LinkedIn. I want to dig a little bit into this because it's interesting. Nobody's ever talked about AI in this way before and about using it in a possible application. So for those who are just like, all right, you just sent me out to the moon. I can't think in those ginormous terms of applications of like, that's not where my brain is. Give me an example of a mini problem that it's just an everyday thing that I could play with having chat GPT or an AI program solve for me. Give me some super baby ones. It's a good question. So my children are involved in a lot of activities. They're, they're in the background right now. You can see the dad thing from Father's Day. They're involved in a ton of activities. I could have AI managing the calendar for them to where it's automatically shooting a notification to go to your football game, go to your swim practice, go to your dance performance. And oh, by the way, halfway in between, uh, make sure you eat something, text your dad to say, hey, make sure you eat something because you're going to be hungry otherwise. And then you get into hangry mode and all those types <laughs> of things to deal with as a parent. That's relatable. Right. And so there's lots of different applications where AI can be used to solve lots of issues like that, where it's almost like a parent coordinator is involved to help the kids with their scheduling activities. And then again, there's larger sort of more grandiose visions. And I always like to tell people that thinking big is often cheaper than thinking small because in thinking small, you have to think in chunks versus creating a big picture and then just marching towards it. So I would say think big, think small. It's up to you, but come up with an idea. These are some examples where AI can fundamentally improve your life or your children's lives, your family's life, et cetera, and make a difference. Interesting. All right. So, and then the posting part on LinkedIn or on social is just, hey, here's my idea. Wouldn't it be nice if AI could? Yep. Okay, great. So you don't have to actually go do it in case anybody's really overwhelmed and intimidated by the whole prospect, but just the idea of posing the question, posing the outcome idea for it. So that sounds like some fun. And yes, using your powers for good and your tools for good rather than the alternative, shall we say. Now, that sounds like a great inspiration. And let's talk about another time when you've had to inspire others. What was that time like? And what did you say or what happened? Tell me about that inspirational moment. Yeah, another great question. And so back in 2005, I was managing a team at my first company, company I was involved in, what became the web.com group, and went through a couple different change of ownership controls and new CEOs, et cetera, happened with that sort of process. So we had a new CEO, his name was Jeff Steibel, brilliant guy. We we're just talking about learning and memory, brain scientist, found a company called Simply, sold it to Yahoo. And then later after web.com was involved and done a Bradstreet Credibility Corp. And then also founded Bryant Stiebel Capital prior to the death of the late, great Kobe Bryant and has done extraordinary things. And so uh, he's on USA Today. It does op-eds all the time. And so it was his first earnings call, youngest CEO in the history of the NASDAQ. And so I'm running our system. It's called Oasis, the Operational and Improvement Service Solution. So running Oasis and my fiance at the time, later my spouse, had a big event for her friend, Michelle, who was going through her dissertation. Then there was a party afterwards. And so it's like 3.43 and all of a sudden a number of notifications start to come in. I'm like, crap, someone's spamming us again or something's happening. So I turn to my team and I'm like, what's going on? Let's shut it off. It's probably someone spamming us or something's happening. The notifications didn't stop. And I'm like, crap, what's going on? All of a sudden my phone rings and it's a data center. They're like the RAID array. And this is how you used to basically make hard drives fault tolerant hard drives are things you put data on is collapsing. What do you want us to do about it? And I'm like, crap. So I start sending notifications and I'm like, this is bad, but we've got backups. And all of a sudden the system comes to a halt. And so I organize the team and we get into the war room, the war room having to be painted red, not the greatest color to paint a room when you're <laughs> you know, going through this type of thing, but the war room having to be painted red. 
And then I, you know, say, Hey, I can't attend this thing tonight. And so we sort of gather together as a team and figure out what to do next. I say, okay, let's get some hardware. It's called Dell up. You know, the system's going to be down for a while. We'll restore from backup. We try to do a test backup restore. Backups don't work. And so it's really getting serious and really getting critical. I keep a shell team around. One of them was a guy named Kevin Roberts from Philadelphia. And so later in the night, he and I ended up trading stories about the Eagles and his frustration with Donovan McNabb. The other one was Hun Jin Oh, who's done a lot of great things since then. And uh, at the time was like a jiu-jitsu master. And so he was doing jiu-jitsu at like two in the morning. But that's where it gets later in the day. I let the team know, let the executive staff know what's going on. Jeff's like, as long as it's up and running, it freaks out a little bit. We've got an earnings call in the morning. It's my first earnings call as the CEO. Websites has to be up. The system has to be up. Customers can't think. All their data is gone, all the thing. And so from roughly four o'clock. AM or PM? PM to 8.35 in the morning, we work on restoring the system. Mm. And I had to motivate Dell because they wanted to go home. I had to motivate Microsoft tech support because they wanted to go home. The odds of a quadruple raid failure happening in the first place is like 0.1, a 0.1, a 0.1%. Mm. They did not have backups that were restoring properly as additional dimension on top of this. This is like a one in 100 year thing. Right. Theory. So it was an extraordinary night where literally it came down to the three of us writing scripts and doing backup restores and all the things back and forth with tech support and various groups to get the hardware back up and running and get the system restored. At one point, nothing was working. It was like four or five in the morning. I'll never forget it. Nothing was working. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. I knelt down and prayed. This is my life. That's 2005. I've been involved in this business since 1996 or 1999. I can't let my team down. I can't fail my fiance. I can't fail myself. I can't fail our customers. I don't know what else to do. And then 11 minutes later after that, we had a breakthrough and we were able to start restoring and recovering the data. But Mm. it was an extraordinary experience. And I've had a couple of others that are similar, but not quite that sort of dire one in 2016 and then one in 2021, where you really had to, again, motivate and mobilize the team to really do extraordinary things. But, you know, to this day, it's, it was sort of a defining moment for me because, you know, they say that the seven most important things in your life determine your life. And, you know, there are a lot of important things or a lot of things that have happened in my life, kids being born and all the things where, you know, it's sort of like, hey, this changes your life forever. Sure. I really believe it's not that. I think that's important, but I really believe it's, how you respond in the moment when something completely unexpected happens to you and how you motivate people in that moment and to get you through it. And there are seven times in your life, and it goes back to almost a Frostian moment, right? The road not taken, which path you choose. I could have gone home that day and said, hey, we're going to be offline for a couple of days. Sorry, Jeff. First earnings call, not going to happen. Customers, eh, we'll restore from 24-hour backup instead of we lost 14 minutes of data, we'll lose 24 hours of data or something like that or no data loss, actually. All the things, I could have done lots of different things that night. And that morning, I could have gone to the party. I could have done lots of other things. But I chose to dig in. I Mm. chose at that moment to dig in and lead a team, small team, not to victory, but recovering from disaster to success. Recovering from disaster to success. And a successful outcome to where Jeff was able to do his earnings call at 9.15, 9.30 in the morning. It was a good earnings call. And we were able to put it behind us and, and again, have very minimal damage in terms of loss of data. And so 
that was an extraordinary experience for me in, in terms of how I was able to lead people and really accomplish something that, again, if I had just quit, wouldn't have happened and would have had a very different outcome. And was there anything in particular that you think that you said or an approach that you took with them other than, you know, freaking out and screaming and saying nobody's allowed off this call unless we have restored it or you die? Those are the only two ways you're getting out of here. So where was the inspiration with them other than the panic? So as a leader, you obviously have to maintain, you know, being calm, cool, and collective, right? And so that's sort of first step, that's table stakes sure. and anything. It really was the approach, and I've used this throughout every sort of crisis since then or will in, in the future, which is you get to this sort of Arthurian model. I loved when I was young, the sort of King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table, you know, we're all marching in the same direction. We're all equal. The ivory pillars notion of executives that I grew up with in the late 90s, early 2000s is not what I adhere to. Who was help writing scripts? Who was help coordinating calls? Who was in the middle of it? Who was, you know, looking at the blinking lights and the hard drives to see if they were green or not? I mean, I was there with everyone at, at that time. And it was us all working towards a common outcome, you know, whether it's Miracle on Ice and this is our time, or again, it's the Arthurian trilogy of taking the horse and the sword and charging and doing all the things to defend Great Britain. It's really being there with your team and being a part of the solution and being almost an architect of the solution. For all the faults that Steve Jobs had, one of his strengths was he was a product guy. He had 210 patents and he would get into all of the, you know, he's a very charismatic guy. His approach was probably not the most warm, personable and other things mm -hmm. we've talked about, but, you know, he was there with his team in the moment and I was there with my team in the moment. And I've done that throughout my career instead of just delegating, it's being a part of the solution and process. Sure. So you guys are going to be here until three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, whatever it takes to get it online. But I'm not going to go home and rest until you go home and rest. We're all in this together until the end. So I think that's the beautiful leading by example. Well, Matt, I've loved our conversation today. I'm so sorry. We are just about out of time here. But how can people learn more about you and Mosaic Learning? You're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just Matthew Craft and Mosaic Learning, M-O-S-A-I-C learning.com. Connect with us, fill out the information form, connect with me. If you have an LMS, you have e-learning, you have struggles, you have frustrations, you have folks dropping out, or you want to make your students' lives better, your lives better, your lives easier, contact us, let us help. Well, happy to do that. And of course, we'll put all of those links in the show notes so you can go back and look up Matt and Mosaic Learning at any time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it. And to everybody else out there, of course, thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. 
Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.